This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to AOA. Would you believe it? Mike Adams in for Mike Pearson, who's on vacation this week. That's right. They brought the old guy out of mothballs, and I'm going to see if I can make it through this week. Last time I did this was what, December? Has anything happened since then? Have I missed anything? Well, we'll get caught up this week. We have a lot of folks to talk to. I, one of the things I have missed in uh, in retirement is talking to some of my uh, my friends in agriculture. I'm going to get a chance to do that this week, and especially good to talk with all of you again, all of the AOA listeners. So Mike Pearson has the week off, and here's what we'll be talking about today. We're going to talk weather with John Baranek with DTN as we head to harvest time. We're going to talk with uh, Jackie Fatka with Farm Progress about uh, the latest government spending bill. And we're going to get a preview of Husker Harvest Days coming up in September. We'll be talking with Matt Youngman, National Shows Director with Farm Progress. All that coming up on a busy program here as we kick off a week. But we're going to start things off right now talking markets. We had uh, some numbers out last week and uh, going to go over all that with Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. Matt, how are you? I'm doing great, buddy. How are you doing? Good. I've missed talking with you. And I know that uh, in East Central Illinois, you've had a few uh, weather issues this year, right? Uh, Not as much rain as you're used to. Well, it just depends on where you're at, to be honest with you, Mike. You get east of me and then maybe north a little bit. So I'm going to say Champaign and east. That's the dry spot. Uh, You get where I'm at, actually, in Shelby County. And quite frankly, you know, we got started a little bit late. But, you know, we started around 20th, 21st April. Crop it in the ground really nice. I had a dry spell in there in June, which, you know, uh, whenever I was a kid growing up in the green elevator, I heard all the old timers say, well, if you're planting in May, you want to dry June. And that's pretty much what we had, even though we planted there in late April. But we actually have had quite a bit of rain here in July and August. So right in here, oh, I don't know. I'm going to say Shelby, Moultrie Counties, uh, Christian County. There's some awfully good corn right in this part of the world. Yeah, and a little west of you where I'm at, uh, some pretty good corn and beans as well. But let's talk about the numbers that came out last week. Uh, Any surprises for you? Oh, I was a little surprised. I guess the beans came in at 51.9. You know, with beans going in the ground a little late this year, obviously the crop isn't rated uh, quite as good as what it was a year ago. I assumed that we'd be looking at a similar yield to a year ago, and they actually a year ago got under 50 bushels. So I didn't know that we'd get under 50, uh, to be honest about it. But I, I thought, you know, something south of 51 and a half that we went into the report on, you know, and the average trade guess was 51 and one. So I kind of assumed maybe we'd be around that 51 bushel level. But uh, regardless, that was a little bit of a surprise, you know. Uh, really, to be honest with you, most of the number, I, I, every one of those numbers was within the range of guesses. And typically when you get a major uh, – volatile report as far as the reaction, you're going to see something on an outlier as far as being outside of the range of guesses. And so maybe one of the more bearish factors was, you know, world supply for new crop uh, going up uh, to over 100 million tons. I mean, um, people uh, scratch their head and wonder, well, gee whiz, I thought the U.S. was tight. But, you know, I tell you what, there's a lot of projections that Brazil is going to be coming at us with a mammoth crop this year with just with just normal weather. So that was probably the more bearish thing that I saw. But otherwise, on corn, there really wasn't much to talk about, you know. I mean, a 175.4 is pretty believable to me. I don't know that I feel like that's going to get any bigger. Uh, I don't know that I'd bet big money that it gets a lot smaller. But uh, certainly been a lot of issues in the Western Corn Belt. And it's nice to see those guys getting rain here this morning. Yeah, we're going to talk more about that in our next segment with John Baranek with DTN. Um, so, Matt, here we are mid-August. As we look ahead to harvest time, these markets have been wild. What do you see happening now as we head towards harvest? Yeah, I kind of see a choppy-type trade action. Uh, I think whenever you went up on Friday, you know, bean market obviously got uh, just gut-punched. And then corn rallies uh, pulled the bean market up. 
You know, and I think that a lot of us went home on Friday, at least from my vantage uh, point, went home thinking, boy, it's going to be hard to get this corn market above 650. We're going to need a lot of bullish information, bullish weather stories. You know, you come in here on Sunday night, China's got some issues. They cut rates because their economy slowed. All of a sudden, you look over, you know, and crude oil, uh, I mean, as we speak, I mean, shoot, crude oil is down $4.25. I mean, but, you know, you see some of those things going on, and it's easy to see that it's going to be a maybe the path of least resistance is going to be lower. Now, I don't expect a complete freefall, uh, even though bean market's really getting worked over. you got to remember, you still got November beans at 13.95, as you and I are talking, and that's a pretty salty price. So uh, I look for kind of a choppy trade action. I want to watch and see what the rainfall distribution is as we finish this growing season, because we all know that a lot of these beans are in the ground late. Uh, they're still kind of hanging on for a rain, and you can add a couple, three bushels onto a bean crop uh, with good late-season rain. So uh, I don't look for any sort of major movement in any direction, but if we did get uh, a solid movement in one direction or the other, I'm afraid that I would be thinking that it'd probably be uh, more towards the low side than up. You know, we know a lot of the areas that are very dry and the damage has already been done, but as you mentioned, there are some places where another rain yet uh, could make a big difference uh, in finishing off some of these crops, especially, I mean, the beans, especially at this point. Right. You know, I'm afraid that in some areas, especially in parts of Iowa and Nebraska, producers we've talked to, rain's not going to do a lot for that corn crop. Uh, definitely been some damage done. You know, I've heard some silage estimates that uh, really are pretty depressing. But uh, whenever you look, for instance, at soybeans, uh, I always go back to 2012, and we all remember that well, uh, that year well. You know, I had the hurricane that came up there in early August, and uh, I would have told you before the hurricane, my bean crop would be 25 bushel at best. I mean, it was just on life support. Uh, uh, we pulled four inches of rain at it, and they made 45, 50 bushels. So this bean crop... Uh, that can really surprise a person. Uh, they can sure hang on. You throw some stress at beans, and it's not always such a bad thing. Uh, and if you can catch rain before they completely shut down, you can definitely add bushels. And I think, you know, that most of the corn belt is still going to benefit from some sort of uh, rainfall distribution, especially out west, uh, Mississippi, uh, west of Mississippi. I think, you know, you could probably bolster this uh, national bean yield. Now, I'm not one that thinks we'll get much above that 51.9 USDA came out with. Uh, that's just my personal opinion. But uh, if we could stabilize this thing and keep it above that 51.5, that's the trend line. I think it's going to give us a chance of at least having some stocks around because uh, we're at awfully razor thin margins right now. Well, the guessing game is on now. And uh, even those areas with uh, good potential, you mentioned your area and I mentioned my area and others. Uh, now it's uh, hold your breath and hopefully no big uh, weather problems between now and harvest time. Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, the thing is, like where I'm at, Mike, I mean, uh, I've been out in the fields, we've done yield checks. We're really feeling good about the way things look, but, you know, you, you don't have to remember too far back. Two years ago, you right. saw that ratio come through. There's just no givens whenever it comes to Mother Nature. She can be awfully rude at times. So uh, we can't got take it for granted. Continue to treat us well. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, good to talk with you again, Matt. Take care. Yeah. Yeah. Have a good week, Mike. Matt Bennett with agmarket.net. We'll talk weather next, uh, who's been getting some rain and who could get some this week. John Brannick with DTN next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. The landscape of media has changed, and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting.
Today's cereal plant breeders' efforts now contribute up to 70% of your farm yields, up from 50% via better plant genetic potential. The Seed Innovation Protection Alliance member companies want to earn your business as they reinvest 15% of their sales into better genetics with new traits for higher yield, improved end-use quality, and crop vigor for a changing environment. Join us in reinvesting in your future. Buy new, professionally produced seed from authorized seed companies and dealers. To report a seed infringement, call 1-844-SEED-TIP. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. Most of us like to be out in the sun. That's why sunscreen and other safety measures are key to protecting your skin from aging and cancer. The FDA recommends using a sunscreen with an SPF of 15 or higher. Also, look for broad spectrum on the label. That means both harmful ultraviolet A and B rays are blocked. Remember, SPF plus broad spectrum equal healthy fun in the sun. Visit www.fda.gov sunscreen for more information. A message from the U.S. Food and Drug Administration. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the Foundation, Foundation Fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And welcome back. Mike Adams sitting in for Mike Pearson. And don't, don't, uh, just your radio it's nothing wrong there it's just on my end that's me yeah the old guy's out of uh, out of mothballs coming out of retirement just for a week to fill in for mike so he can have some much uh, deserved vacation time it's good to be back with you and lots to talk about weather is always a big topic and sometimes someone i haven't talked to in quite some time john berenick with dtn joins us john how are you well mike i hope you've been enjoying your retirement but it is good to hear your voice again good to talk to you Good to be back. Just had to, uh, you know, move my tea time a little later today. Okay, so that's that's how retirement's <laughs> been going. Hey, let's talk that's weather. Uh, so many dry areas. Did any of them get some rain over the weekend? Uh, a little bit. So um, we've been kind of watching, and it's just started to come out here in the central plains. Uh, we had a system uh, just started developing out of kind of the monsoon. Um, that's been going on in the southwest. Uh, we got some showers here in, in Wyoming, northern Colorado, and then across the South Dakota and Nebraska border. And now these areas have been seeing increasing drought here over the summer, and uh, it's good for them to get some rainfall there. It looks like some rain developing for other areas uh, this week. Who's going to get some? That's right. So that batch there that, uh, that I just mentioned, uh, it's kind of moving to the tri-state area between South Dakota, Nebraska, and Iowa. But it's going to be taking a dive southeastward. So it's going to hit the, the southwest corner of Iowa, most of Missouri on its way into the southeast. And, uh, you know, for those areas down there in southern Iowa, that just keeps getting missed by all these systems moving through the Midwest lately. Uh, they're finally going to get, uh, get some good rainfall out of it. Fortunately, it's not going to hit everybody there in southern Iowa. I think uh, the closer you get to Illinois, the less of a chance you got for, for some rainfall there over the next couple of days. But uh, at least they're going to get some, some good amounts for some of those folks. Any storms with them? 
Yes, some thunderstorms will be possible there, and that might uh, bring in some heavier rainfall pockets in some spots, but I don't think we're going to see any widespread severe weather out of it, if that's what you're asking. We may see a couple of spots here and there with some wind gusts or some hail, but for the most part, that'll be mostly just rainfall and, and some benign thunderstorms. Yeah, I was talking about this earlier with Matt Bennett. It's it's nervous time this time of year. You, you might have a good crop out there, and uh, you know that until it's in the bin, it's not safe. So you always have to worry about those storms. Yeah, that's right. You know, you know, it, we're not too far removed here from the uh, the derecho that went through Iowa, you know, Illinois here two years ago. That was uh, late last week on the two-year anniversary of that. So, yeah, it's always on our minds here. We're looking forward. You know, a lot of us learned a lot about the ratios uh, during right around that time. And after that, I really didn't know hardly anything about it before it happened and learned a lot. But what have we learned since then as far as can you predict those? Can you see those coming or do they just pop up out of nowhere? You know, um, you got to have the exact right conditions at, at the right time all coming together for those to occur. You know, so you, first you have to have something that would be considered, you know, severe weather. And then you got to get things to just kind of mold into this uh, this complex at just the right uh, just the right moment and everything, and so they're very very hard to predict more than um, uh, say 12 to 24 hours in advance. Uh, so they could come up at, at any point, but you, you know you got to look for the severe weather threats first. If you don't have good threats of severe weather, your risk for a duration is very 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 low. Talking with uh, John Baranek with DTN, John. Uh, any big systems forming, developing that we ought to be watching here in the next week or so? Um, nothing too major, although I think a lot of the country here across the south is going to really welcome this cold front moving in this week. Uh, temperatures across, you know, from Kansas down to Texas over to the uh, Mississippi River routinely been reaching 100 degrees. Uh, we've still got a couple more days of that here this week, but this, this cold front moving through is definitely going to drop those temperatures down a good 20 degrees. So we'll be talking more about Temperatures uh, in the in the daytime in the 80s and maybe hitting the, the low 90s, uh, depending on where you're at. But overnight temperatures, I think, is going to be a big uh, improvement for a lot of folks. Uh, instead of sitting in the 70s and 80s, uh, we'll be talking about 50s and 60s. So I think that's where the, the real release is going to come on the overnight temperatures. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. Uh, in many places, a, a late planted crop, uh, the need for, you know, that longer growing season uh, to finish things out. Uh, any um, early predictions or thoughts on frost or, you know, the big change coming uh, if it's going to be earlier or later this year? Yeah, I, I think we're good through most of September. Um, there are a little, there are a couple caveats in that. Uh, models are, we're just starting to get to where some of our, our, our main uh, European and, and GFS models are grabbing on to the end of, uh, of August into early September. Um, they're kind of suggesting that we might have another cold push um, kind of very couple, last couple days of August into early September. That's followed quickly by some, some heat. I don't think it'll be cold enough to bring in some freezing temperatures. Uh, but, you know, just kind of some below normal. I don't really see this, uh, this the month of September in particular uh, going through where we have to worry about frost. Although, you know, it's always just that, that one little system that comes through and screws everything up. Um, uh, that could be the difference. But overall, I think the risk for any early frost here in September is pretty low. Once we get to October, pretty much all the models and everything is pointing to a very warm month. So uh, I don't I don't see us really getting it into to October here across the north where we might be thinking about even some, some earlier frost uh, causing too much of, of a concern. That's good to hear. Uh, there are a lot of talk about mega droughts switching right into mega floods in some areas, especially out west. Uh, what are you seeing on that? Yeah, I mean, there's been a couple of, of really um, uh, big events that happened in, in kind of select areas is why we're kind of hearing about it, but um, you know, uh, Las Vegas, uh, over the weekend, you know, kind of had the, the flood going through, uh, one of the casinos. We had some, uh, heavy rainfall in, um, um, in Death Valley as well, causing flooding there, kind of some high, uh, profile areas. But the, the, the monsoon that's been going on has been going on all summer, uh, it started early here in June. It's been a very good thing for, for some of these folks, uh, to see some decreasing, uh, drought conditions, but they're still deep in drought. Um, even with all this rain, we've been talking about kind of, you know, the media hits on all this. 
um, and been and been pretty pretty wild. But drought is still a huge concern, uh, especially in that southwestern quarter of the state of uh, the country here. Um, I, I don't see anything kind of really flipping around. We've seen a little bit of that uh, over the last several years. Uh, 2019, obviously, uh, if people can remember that, really there was very little drought in any of the country that year. But we flipped pretty quickly into 2020, um, and, and that drought really started growing again in the southwest especially. But, um, you know, weather, weather does that. Going in and out of droughts is, is not too uh, uncommon. Um, but, you know, climate change does play a part in, in some of this where droughts are a little bit more extended. You get more flooding. Uh, so they, they kind of happen more back to back in your mind um, than, than than they actually do. Uh, it's just that you know when, when we see these these cropping up then um, on media reports and stuff like that, they get uh, they get kind of um, uh, brought to mind a little bit more than what they were actually happening. I was going to ask you about that. I mean, it seems like we've had you know every year we have extremes but it seems like there have been even more extremes this year with the big flooding and the and the in places and the extreme droughts how do you look at this year in compare in comparison with history has it been a lot different or more extreme every year is different um and you know one thing that plays a huge role in our our weather here across north america is is the enso picture la nina el nino and being now in our second and going into a third year of La Nina kind of kind of throws us off the rails a bit. So um, I'm not surprised that we're seeing a little bit more extreme weather just because of the, the constant La Nina impact on that. Um, uh, hopefully we can get out of this, uh, this pattern here uh, over this winter and the spring. Models are starting to kind of suggest that, that we might be headed out of at least La Nina and perhaps into an El Nino by next summer, although that's way far in advance. Uh, but it gives us some hope that we'll get out of this um, kind of the extreme pattern that we've been in with the La Niñas. You know, I think you and I were talking about those things when we last talked in December. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that, and that was the second La Niña in a row. Now we're headed to yeah. the third. Well, it's good to talk with you again, and uh, hopefully you'll have a lot of good uh, weather to talk about uh, to finish out this uh, this growing season when you and Mike Pearson talk uh, in, the, in the weeks ahead. But good to talk with you again, John. Good to catch up. Good to talk with you too, Mike. I hope uh, you continue to enjoy that retirement. All right. Thanks a lot. John Baranek with DTN. Well, another big government spending bill. There's some stuff in there for agriculture that uh, could be very helpful. Overall, some big concerns. What does it do for inflation and things like that? So we're going to talk about all that with Jackie uh, Fatka with Farm Progress, policy uh, editor for Farm Progress. And we're going to talk about, does this spending bill impact the next farm bill? We'll get into that next on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. Every Tuesday, we're sitting around the table, sponsored by CHS, where we'll be talking with folks from throughout the cooperative system. Join us as we discover what makes cooperatives unique when there are more options to do business with than ever before. We'll learn how farmers and ranchers like you benefit from a system where decisions are made by the members that own it. Tune in every Tuesday for Around the Table or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association. And each month, we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month. And you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. You are listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. Well, grain markets are sharply lower here this morning, led by the soy complex as we see rains in dry parts of the western Corn Belt and cooler temperatures for much of the Corn Belt here to start this week. Traders also still reacting to Friday's USDA numbers and also reacting to 
Economic news out of China. China's central bank shocking observers here overnight, cutting key lending rates to stimulate demand after key economic data fell short of expectations. That is weighing on the broader commodity sector. Crude oil trading near six-month lows, down 5% on the session. Crude oil down 4.52 a barrel, 87.57. Stock market relatively quiet amid the news. While the grain and oil sea markets down roughly 2 to 3% here as we work through our morning. Now again, some of those rains in parts of the western Corn Belt, some of the driest areas of the Corn Belt from southern South Dakota and northern Nebraska into parts of western and southwestern Iowa is also pressuring the markets here so far this morning. So overall, it's appearing like it is a risk-off day, at least in the energies and in the grain and oilseed sector as we start the week. Right now, corn, December, new crop down 20 and three quarters, 621 and a half. November soybeans, 58 and a half lower, 1395 and three quarters. Bean meal for September down 1390 a ton, 450.80. September soybean oil, 210 points lower, 67.43. Chicago wheat, September down 17 and a half, 788 and a half. September Kansas City wheat down 20 and a half, 868 and three quarters. Spring wheat, September down 24, 895 and a half. Live cattle for August up 42, 140.65. October lives up 40, 144.90. August feeder cattle up 110, 180.72. Lean hogs October down 107, 98.95. December down 70 at 89.67. This is AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. Keeping farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Mike Adams sitting in for the vacationing Mike Pearson. You know, I, I mentioned... One of the things that's uh, fun about coming back this week and, and, and doing the show is I get to catch up with a lot of people I haven't talked with in since I retired back in, in December. And it's been fun to do that with Matt Bennett and, and John Baranek so far and several others that you'll hear throughout this week. But it's also fun to talk with somebody for the first time, and, and which includes my next guest, Jackie Fatka, um, policy editor for Farm Progress. And Jackie, I don't think we've talked, but I, I know your work. I've heard you on uh, here on AOA and you do a great job. So I've been looking forward to, to talking with you. Thanks for joining us. Well, it's it's great to talk to, to you as well, Mike. Uh, I always appreciated your long tenure um, doing some great work too. So it is a pleasure to speak with you today. Thank you very much. I want to talk about this latest spending bill that has passed. Um, you know, one thing in retirement, it has allowed me to kind of pull back out of just seeing everything through the ag lens and, and kind of getting that broader perspective on things. And I see a bill like this. And my first reaction, just as a, a consumer, uh, so, oh, no, more government spending in, in inflationary times. Isn't that what helped get us into the inflation times that we're in? And, and but then I I. Then I start narrowing down and I see some things that are in it for agriculture that look like they could be very helpful. I know the renewable fuels folks are optimistic, conservation folks as well. So, you know, I look at it in two ways now. Happy for the ag part of it, concerned about the overall impact, though, on the economy and on inflation. What are your thoughts on it? You know, I think um, it is with with any policy that's probably 
come through here without any bipartisan support. There may always be a few question marks on on what the final impact would be. Um, you know, this is this was only supported by Democrats. There was not one Republican in either the Senate or House vote that voted for it. Now, is that because it's an election year and they are, you know, trying to take a stand? Um, obviously, this is much more of the agenda that the Democrats have wanted to try to accomplish. And I think they definitely will be using this to tout um, here in the next couple of months ahead of the midterm elections. And so trying to deliver on that, um, you know, it, and this was called the Inflation Reduction Act. Now, whether it will reduce inflation, I think we yeah. will all wait and see and we will watch and you know, this is obviously a much smaller scale back version of a lot of the things that were in the Build Back Better. And so some of those initial things, I mean, it does not cost $3 trillion, so we can be glad about that, that it did not spend that much money. Um, and, yeah, at the end of the day, there are some things for agriculture. So, um, you know, sometimes we take things that maybe we don't love, but there are pieces that we like, right? And so we will hope for the best that it doesn't create more inflation um, and that it does actually do some some good, not just for agriculture, but the overall economy as well. But the CBO scoring and what a number of economists have said when we look at it overall and its impact on the economy, that's what concerns me. Uh, it doesn't seem to be much inflation reduction in there to me. You know, and that was really some of the Republicans' concerns, that this was actually not going to reduce, um, you know, I think overall it could take years and years and it will be a very, very minimal impact on actually addressing inflation. We're talking, you know, hundreds of a percent of addressing inflation. And so, you know, those touted promises, I, you've been covering politics uh, probably longer than I have. And sometimes promises don't always uh, come to, to fruition with some of these things. So, yeah, you know, I think there are some current concerns. Uh, I think at the end of the day, um, you know, how this is implemented, um, you know, I think a big concern is, is whether some of that increased money for IRS agents will, you know, we could see that impacting farmers maybe if their income levels put them above and, um, so, you know, and that's, that's something that, that they may have to, um, they may have to defend here in a couple of years if we do see this actually um, going into effect and it's, it's different than what, what is promised. Time will tell. That's for sure. We're talking with Jackie Fatka, uh, policy editor for Farm Progress. Well, when we look at the ag portions of it, I mentioned conservation and renewable fuels. Um, those those can be helpful. That money can be helpful if, if used the way it sounds like it should be used. It's just a matter of actually getting it on the ground and, and into place, right? So uh, how does that impact agriculture? That's my first question. Then the second part of that is how does that impact the writing of the next farm bill? You know, I think that, um, so, you know, overall it's about $20 billion for Climate Smart Ag. So a lot of Farm Bill programs are getting a boost. So $8.45 billion for EQIP, $3.25 billion for the Conservation Stewardship Program, um, $1.45 for the Ag Conservation Easement Program, um, you know, another billion for NRCS Technical Assistance. So, um, and this is all funding that's going to be um, from 2023 to 2027. So obviously that is something that, is going to be within the next farm bill discussion um, of but but there's a lot of concerns you know this this was not hearings that were advanced this was not um, you know looking at those farm bill programs and saying hey you know how can we improve it this was just throwing some more money at it so republicans had had a lot of concerns about how that was funded and the lack of discussion about how that was funding, just the Democrats were making their their play. And, um, and, and obviously some things that do have bipartisan support, but it, it wasn't conducted in a way that, that reflected that bipartisan support. Um, you know, biofuels, a half a million, you know, there's a lot of folks, um, you know, Jeff Cooper from RFA, this is really a huge for biofuels. If you look back, this is probably the biggest investment compared to what the RFS uh, or the R, you know, the RFS was in 2005, 2007, those updated. This is, this is a, a bunch of money that they're going to do to 
um, really build up E15 and E85 infrastructure with $500 million for that, creating a clean fuel production uh, biofuels tax credit from 25 to 27. Um, so, you know, like I said, good thing for ag, um, but not done in the traditional way of having both Republicans and Democrats come together like we've really seen in a lot of farm bills. So how does that change as we go forward into the farm bill discussion? I think we're going to we're going to wait and see how that depends from the from the midterm elections. You know, do we see the House yeah. flip? Do we see the Senate flip? Um, I think that's all in play and in, in how politics now maybe gets in the way of good policy. I tell you, as, as I mentioned, it's diff- I, a, a lot different perspective when, when you're retired and you're not as deep into just the ag views and ag policy things as I was. So, I, I mean, I almost had whiplash. I was very concerned about more government spending with the inflation the way it is. And then I saw what was in there for renewable fuels and people that know me know I, I'm a big supporter of renewable fuels. And I go, yeah, I like that part, you know? So uh, I wish we could do these things piece by piece instead of clump, you know, putting them all together. But uh, as you say, we'll just have to kind of wait and see how it plays out. But, um, and what, and what's the next step, right? How much more money do they come up with? I guess we'll, we see after these midterms and if there is a change in the house and maybe even the Senate, uh, probably going to be a little different approach to things. Wouldn't you think? Definitely. You know, if we see, you know, right now, the major bills that we've seen passed have been because of Democrat controlling both the house and the Senate. And especially with, this this bill uh, and the American Rescue Plan Act that was passed last year, the reconciliation process allows you to just have a straight majority. So the, the bipartisanship that's usually required in the Senate, you have to get 60 votes. The compromise that comes with that, we haven't had to see that in some of these big pieces of legislation. Now, we did see a bipartisan vote on the infrastructure bill. We did see a bipartisan vote on this CHIPS bill that just came out. And so, you know, this is a little different process. And obviously, I've always said bipartisan, you know that you're getting more of what everyone wants. I don't think that that if we see a flip in the House and then all of a sudden maybe Senate does stay in the Democrat control, you know, that does create a different dynamic of what actually gets across the finish line and to the president's desk. It forces bipartisanship. Um, and so I do think the midterm elections really do matter. If we see the same status quo for another two years, we could see another two reconciliation bills, just like we have the last two years. You can usually do one of those a year uh, that would require just that 50-50 vote. And so it really does create a different dynamic of how negotiations go on this policy and, and trying to advance some of those key priorities. Yeah. Uh, if that's the case, their next one might be the recession reduction act instead of the inflation <laughs> reduction act, but then, <laughs> then they would, everybody redefines the word recession. So that's kind of the times in which we live, which we live. I'm old enough to remember when there was bipartisan work get done on these more and more of these bills they'd go into a room and hammer them out and fight and argue among themselves and come out uh, with some kind of a bill but then we all criticize them for doing everything in the dark we didn't know what was going on that still happens but <laughs> now it just seems like it's more partisan and the, the art of compromise seems to uh, be something of the past but we'll see what happens moving forward jackie it was good to talk with you again uh, for the first time uh, officially here on the air and uh, I'll look forward to listening to you and Mike in the future and keeping us up to date. Thanks a lot. Sounds good. Thanks so much, Mike. Take care. Jackie Fatka with Farm Progress. Well, coming up, we have Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Days. We're going to focus on Husker Harvest Days at previews coming up next. Stay with us here on AOA. Hi, this is Mike Pearson. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Don't go away. More AOA coming right up. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. A good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. 
and your intestines to keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. Seed Innovation Protection Alliance Seed Company members invest 15% of sales into new seed innovations for your cereal acres. Check the bag for certified seed or single-use agreement restrictions so you don't step over the line. Or talk to your seed dealer. Plant breeders develop better, stronger genetics for your farm. So let's reinvest together to improve yields and quality. Without your patronage and trust, seed companies wouldn't be able to continually develop new genetics, traits, seed treatments, and other innovations to meet your needs. The archaeological record suggests that wheat was first cultivated in the regions of the Fertile Crescent, also known as the Cradle of Civilization, around 9600 B.C. The Roman goddess Ceres, who was deemed protector of the grain, gave grains their common name today, cereal. Wheat is the primary grain used in U.S. grain products. Approximately three-quarters of all U.S. grain products are made from wheat flour. The first bagel rolled into the world in 1683 when a baker from Vienna, Austria, was thankful to the king of Poland for saving Austria from Turkish invaders, the baker reshaped the local bread so that it resembled the king's stirrup. The new bread was called bugel, derived from the German word for stirrup. Ancient traditional tortillas were made from ground corn by Mexican natives as long as 2,000 years ago. However, flour tortillas only started to become popular in the 19th century. More types of foods are made with wheat than with any other cereal grain. These farm facts brought to you by the American Egg Network. Are you headed to the Farm Progress Show in Boone, Iowa this year? If so, stop by the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth to see all the latest in tires. Also, Mike Pearson of Agriculture of America will be broadcasting live all three days there from the Trelleborg Wheel Systems booth. That's booth 928. Stop by to watch the show at 9 a.m. And that's in Trelleborg booth 928. We'll see you in Boone at the Farm Progress Show. It's been said that when someone you love has Parkinson's, you have Parkinson's. The Parkinson's Foundation knows that the disease doesn't just affect the diagnosed. It affects everyone who supports and helps care for them. If you or someone you know is living with Parkinson's, a neurological disease that affects movement, we understand that it can be difficult to know where to find help. If you have questions, the Parkinson's Foundation has answers. Answers for everyone in the fight. We can help you understand the disease. Help you find expert care and local support. Give you tips for living a better life. And share the latest research. Find your answers and join us in the fight against Parkinson's. To learn more, please go to parkinson.org. Or call 1-800-473-4636. That's 1-800-473-4636. The Parkinson's Foundation. Better, better lives together. You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. This is Mike Pearson, and you can rely on us for the latest farm and ranch news from around the world.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. And Mike Adams filling in this week for the vacationing Mike Pearson. And, you know, it has seemed strange this year in retirement to not for me not to be getting ready for a Farm Progress Show and Husker Harvest Day. So chance to kind of for me to catch up as well as you to get ready for two big shows coming up. We're going to focus primarily here today on Husker Harvest Day is coming up in Grand Island, Nebraska, September 13th through the 15th. Later in the week, we're going to focus on the Farm Progress Show coming coming up in Boone, Iowa in just a couple of weeks. Talking now with Matt Youngman, National Show's Director for Farm Progress and this uh, Husker Harvest Day preview brought to you by Chief Agra, uh, Grain Storage and Handling. Matt Youngman, how are you, my friend? Mike, I am good. It is good to hear I I love working with Mike Pearson, but boy, it's good to hear your voice on the other end of this line. Well, thank you very much. We, we go back a long ways and we've uh, gone through a lot of shows. And uh, I know that uh, you're excited about farm progress in a couple of weeks in Boone, but also looking ahead to the big show in Grand Island, Nebraska, September 13, 14 and 15. Tell us how things look for Husker Harvest Days. Well, you know, we went, we did that uh, facility upgrade in 2018 and uh, that has that has really paid off. It's made our lives a heck of a lot easier, and it's made the exhibitors' lives a heck of a lot easier when it comes to having a facility with with good paved roads and good storm sewer drainage. And 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 you know we've we've kind of had some of the same luck that you're familiar with in Decatur, Illinois, where all you have to do is is bury a few million dollars worth of storm sewers, and then you don't have to use them during the show. It's kind of like buying crop insurance and having a great crop because you don't need it. So. You know, we've had some really, really good weather for the shows in the last few years, and everything uh, weather-wise has been great all year for Husker Harvest Days. The, the field demo crops are in great condition. We've got, uh, I just did the count, we've got almost 60 new exhibitors, 59 new exhibitors at this year's Husker Harvest Days. So wow. the exhibit field is filling up nicely. Everything is, is coming together well for a great Husker Harvest Days. I was wondering about crops because I know it's been very dry in in parts of Nebraska, and even though that's uh, irrigation country, of course, but still it's been a challenge in some areas. But things look good around the show site. They do. You know, you drive on I eighty um, between York and and Grand Island, and they had a heck of a hailstorm and thunderstorm this spring. There were pivots turned over all over the place, and and even. The host farmers, the Libby's, they had a tornado go through some of their some of their farms east of Grand Island. But the show site itself, west of Grand Island, has kind of been spared from any of that uh, any of that nasty weather, and it has actually gotten a few rains. I was out there several weeks ago, and and the show site was green and and looked good. It's been real dry since then, but uh, everything is everything everything looks wonderful and and, and coming together. Actually, the tents are already going up out there in Grand Island. It's it's already starting to happen uh, in terms of building the show site, getting ready for opening day a month from now. I think the last time you and I talked, we were closing down last year's Husker Harvest Days. That is, you're exactly right. We were in the Syngenta tent, and we had a real nice conversation closing up a, a, a real good Husker Harvest Days. You know, it was great to go out there after doing a, a farm progress show in Illinois with all the COVID stuff and then go to go to Nebraska where things are a little more open and able to do a, a real live event. And now, uh, you know, knock wood, some of this stuff is kind of getting behind us and, and we can, we can focus on, on just putting on a show and not worrying about talking to so many different governmental entities about doing it. Yeah. It's gotta be so much, so much easier for you and have that behind you and be able to kind of get, pretty much back to normal putting together a show we're talking with matt youngman national shows director for farm progress husker harvest day is coming up september 13th 14th and 15th in grand island nebraska this preview brought to you by chief agra grain storage and handling all right matt uh, anything new or different uh, on the schedule for husker this year well, we've got those 60 new exhibitors and, and you know, everything, you know, it, it, it's a great opportunity for everybody to get out one last time before everybody climbs into the combine and, uh, and, and get that, that traditional trip to Husker Harvest Days. The food is great. We've got a new thing coming from the University of, of Nebraska, a couple things, actually. They're, the dairy folks are bringing out their, their ice cream trailer to, to serve through the, through the Nebraska booth. And then um, we've also got a uh, crop skills challenge where folks can uh, can kind of compete against each other and, and win some prizes. That's all being put together by the UNL TAFS program, great partnership there, as well as 
uh, the Farm Next stuff, all these brand new inventions, uh, startup companies that are going to be on display right there on Main Street. There's just kind of new stuff all over Husker Harvest Days. The exhibitors do a great job of, of keeping the place fresh and new with autonomous demonstrations and sprayer drones and everything else that goes along with that. Anything different for those attending the show logistically as far as getting in, getting out, getting parked, anything different? That has all been so fine-tuned over the years that there, there are no changes. There isn't any construction to worry about. Um, we, we're, we're flowing them in. We've, we've put gravel into those parking lots there at Husker, and everything is, everything is shaping up really, really well. Uh, we've had our traffic meeting, and, and everybody, you know, the, the beauty of these permanent sites and, and doing Husker Harvest Day since 1978, everybody kind of knows their way around. I would say as they're making their way around, there's been a lot of shuffling with mergers and things like that. Uh, New Holland has moved over next to Case IH. We've got uh, Bex, which is an Indiana-based seed company, making their push into Nebraska. So they're taking over a spot right there on Central Avenue where New Holland used to be. Um, you know, the, there, there has been a pretty good shuffle of the exhibit field this year. So folks are going to want to kind of cruise up and down each street and, and check out the new locations and check out all the new brands that, that have, have made the appearance of the show. It'll be here soon. Husker Harvest Days, Grand Island, Nebraska, September 13th, 14th, and 15th. And this preview brought to you by Chief Agrath and Matt Youngman. We'll talk again later in this week because uh, we're just a couple weeks away from Farm Progress Show in Boone and look forward to talking with you about all the plans you have for Boone, Iowa. I'm going to load up and, and head for Boone right as soon as we get done talking here, and, and I'll have a I'll have a, a first-hand report from, from Boone, Iowa, when we talk later this week. Sounds good. Thanks, Matt. Talk then. Thank you. Matt Youngman with Farm Progress. All right, that wraps up for today. Tomorrow, we'll get a report from Dakota Fest. We're going to talk with NCBA and uh, USMEF and a lot more. Hope you'll join us tomorrow. Mike Adams filling in for Mike Pearson. Thanks for joining us. Have a great day, everyone. This is Mike Pearson. Thanks for listening to Agriculture of America. Join me Monday through Friday for the latest farm and agriculture news from around the world. We gather together in communities across the nation to remember and honor, to celebrate and support, to light the night. Join us as we lift our lanterns high in order to move toward a world free of blood cancers. Join us as we light the night for a loved one. Join us. We are the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society. Our mission is to cure leukemia, lymphoma, Hodgkin's disease, and myeloma. Our aim is to improve the quality of life of patients and their families. Join us. We are LLS, and when we walk, cancer runs. Join your community and help bring light to the darkness of cancer. Join us as we light the night. Find your local event at lightthenight.org. That's lightthenight.org.